Last week we ended with these verses that uh, Pastor Keith just read a few moments ago, which we have said to you are really the theme verses for the entire book of Romans. You know, in them, they really point us to the truth that the whole book is describing or the whole letter is describing. For in those few verses, we find out that there's good news that's been given by God, the gospel of God. But in that gospel, we found out last week or we were pointed to last week and we read here in these scriptures that there is a righteousness that is revealed to us. A righteousness that we're going to explore even today, but we will explore as we walk through the book of Romans. He says in verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God. This message of the gospel is the very power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for in it, for in the gospel of God, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So of course we're going to explore this more, but what we saw last week was a righteousness that was revealed. Verse 18 is going to bring another revelation. It's not the righteousness revealed. We're going to have God's wrath revealed to us. And so today is is a heavy day that I believe as we labor through God's word that by the end of this text, we will not see darkness. We will see light. But before we dive in, before we read these verses, I want to ask you, if you will, to pray with me. Pray with me scriptures that the Lord laid on my heart uh, a few days ago and specifically this morning. I I had a lot going on through my mind uh, in terms of dealing with this text. And so I I got up a little earlier than I normally would. I actually went running this morning, uh, which is not something I typically would do on Sunday or really any day, uh, but went running this morning. And in the time of running, just were constantly reminded of these verses. The the scripture that I'm talking about actually comes from Zephaniah. It's not a place that probably this morning you woke up and thought, man, I I hope we talk about Zephaniah today. You you probably didn't, but you should. Zephaniah chapter three. God, the whole really first two and a half chapters, he's talking about judgment. He's talking about wrath. He's talking about what he's gonna do against evil. But chapter 3, right in the middle of the chapter, and specifically verse 17 is what we're going to pray today. The Lord gives a hope that won my heart over this morning, caused my heart to beat faster for the Lord this morning. And I want us to pray it over uh, our own, ourselves as we study God's word. Zephaniah 3.17, this is the word of God. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Listen to what God's word says. He, the Lord, the Lord will rejoice over you with gladness. 
He will, please let this happen. He will quiet you by his love. Oh, that's been my prayer the last few days. In light of all the looking at wrath and in, in light of the difficult passages of scripture, in light of the darkness of my own mind and that I see in the world, oh, may God quiet me with his love. May he quiet you. He will exult over you with loud singing. Some of you, you get upset about loud singing. You need to hear the Lord sing over you today. This is good. This is good. Let's let's pray together before we dive into this passage. Oh, Father, I pray that you, by your grace, Lord, that you would allow us to recognize that you are here in our midst. Lord, you're here, able to save, able to restore. Father, you rejoice over your children here today. You rejoice with gladness. May you quiet us by your love today. Father, may we know that you're you're a God who you love us and you even sing over us today. God, may we know your love as we study your word today. Father, please give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word today as it's proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask if you would to stand for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through the end of the chapter. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations to those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, 
God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of God. You may be seated. As you take out your outline this morning, in this text, we want to see God's wrath revealed, our sin exposed, and the exchange we need. First, let's look at God's wrath revealed. I believe when we consider the word or the term wrath, we we usually think of a final destination. I think for most most of us, it's fair to say when we think of wrath, we think of something that is to come, not something that is here. We tend to think of final judgment, wrath being unleashed in the end. We think of Christ as he is uh, in anguish before he is crucified, as he prays about the cup, the cup, of course, of God's wrath, as he prepares to drink the cup, to turn it up for all of those who are in Christ. We think of wrath in its, uh, in, in, as something that is to come. That certainly is biblical, and we need to consider that wrath that is to come. But Romans 1 is going to talk to us and going to teach us about a wrath that is here. A wrath that is being revealed, not a wrath that is to one day be revealed. A wrath that is being revealed now, in the present. Paul says that the wrath of God is being revealed, not will be revealed. And so what we want to do is ask a couple of big questions. We'll ask more than that. But the questions go something like this. What is Paul referring to when he's talking about God's wrath? What does he mean? And once we see that, is there any hope? Those are the two questions we want to ask today. What is he talking about? And if we understand it the way that Scripture teaches here, is there hope? Is there hope? Look with me at your outline there under God's wrath revealed. I want to ask the question, why, why is God angry? What's God angry about? What, what is this revelation of wrath? What, what is this referring to? And even before I read the scripture, I, I want to remind you that when we talk about God's anger, this is anger unlike our sinful way of having uh, or, or being angry. When God is angry, when scripture talks about God's anger or God's wrath, this is not something that is sinful or evil or wrong. This is something that is good, right, and pure. This is an anger that comes out of righteousness. This is a holy anger. This is a purposeful anger. Don't be misled. 
the righteousness of God and the wrath of God are not in opposition to one another. We see them most clearly in God's characteristics as we see his son Jesus. We'll point later, I'll point you now though, just so you don't get too scared. On the cross of Christ is the place that we will most clearly see both God's wrath and God's love together in one, producing for us a risen Savior where our righteousness can come from. Okay, So when we talk about this wrath, this is purposeful wrath. What do we learn about it? Why is God, why is he angry? Verse 18 says, for the wrath of God is being revealed or is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, ungodliness, there's another word that you can use there that may help you and it's godlessness. God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, Do something. They suppress the truth. Suppress the truth. What what does it mean to suppress the truth? I, I like to give the most simple definitions that I possibly can. And so when I think about suppression, I think about pressing down. Okay, pressing down. We were at the beach last week and yesterday I did some pressing down as I was putting the kids clothes in their suitcase. Okay. You know, you know about that where you like press everything in and you're just trying to zip the suitcase and then it's coming back against you. And you know, we just went with open bags, you know, for, for part of it, but, but it's pressing something down, trying to contain something, trying to put it away, trying to remove it from your peripheral, get it away, lock it up, contain it, suppress it. Act as if it's not here. Put it in the chamber. That's what we're talking about. So why is God angry? Well, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. What, What truth are they pushing away? What truth are they trying to contain, lock up, get away? What truth? Well, he tells us, verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God's shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. What's he talking about? Uh, This is what theologians would call general revelation. We read about this earlier, Psalm 19, one of the most beautiful places or testimonies of general revelation in all of scripture. Uh, You heard it. The heavens declare what? The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. I mean, we have this picture of when we look at a sunset, when we watch human life, okay, as, as people fall in love or as people show mercy or grace, as we watch people, as we watch his creation, as we just, uh, I wrote a sermon one time called the sermon from the skies. As we just look at what God's doing through his beauty, through storms, as we watch his creation, the Bible says that creation actually is communicating a message to us. Well, what message is being communicated? 
what he tells us. He says, we learn about God's invisible attributes, attributes that he is not face to face with us declaring or showing. He is showing us his attributes, namely how powerful he is and how divine he is. He's showing his eternal power and divine nature through what? Through his creation. So God is speaking to us through his creation, but we don't listen. That's what God's angry about. That God's given us truth, yet we take his truth and we suppress it. And and this is true according to God's word about every human being. It's not just those people, it's us. It's, It's every human being in our nature. Without the spirit of God, God is able to show us in creation things that we ought to know about him. We ought to know that he's powerful, that he exists and see his divine attributes. But instead, we see it, we know it, and we suppress it. That's what Paul's saying here. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. They weren't thankful. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, without going into too much detail, because I'm going to come back to these verses, just if you want to write this down, write it down. Point here is we are not listening to God when he speaks to us and we do not honor him and we are not thankful. You can just write down those phrases right there. We don't listen, we don't honor, and we're not thankful. That's really the expression of, our, uh, of when we suppress truth. We, we suppress it and it changes what we ought to be like. It causes us to be a person who tries to live as though God doesn't exist and he's not speaking to us. So why is God angry? We, we just saw that. But, but secondly, how is God's wrath revealed? How does he reveal his anger? How does he reveal his wrath? Well, verse 24 uh, we, we see in God's word here how God's wrath is being revealed. Therefore, God, and this is so difficult to hear, but here, he gave them up. God gave them up. His wrath is seen not in lightning bolts. It's seen in abandonment. If you want to know what God's wrath is like revealed, it's that he gives people what they want. He gives them what they want. What they wanted more than him, he says, you can have it. He says, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they did what? They exchanged. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. God's wrath is revealed and then he gives us what we want. The word lust that we see there in verse 24 is a word I think we need to look at a little deeper. It's a word that we typically connect to sexual immorality and and that's uh, no surprise. And in fact, in verse 24, 
we see it, that, that connection, okay? So we're gonna see that here in these verses. But the word lust, it actually means much more than just sexual immorality. The word literally means this, over-desire. Over-desire. Tim Keller writes about this, uh, this nature that we have, and he says this, that the main problem of our heart is not so much desires for bad things, but our over-desire for good things. See, don't just see these lusts as bad people doing bad things. These are all people having over-desires in their hearts. It may be for family, for education, for money, for fame. It may be for, uh, in things that in themselves are not bad. In fact, they may be really good. But if we have an over-desire for them, we take things that are good and we pervert them into something they were not intended to be. And so here in Romans chapter one, we, we see, well, how is God's wrath being revealed? That he gives us to our over-desires. That's what God's word says. Say it a couple more ways. Basically what Paul is telling us is that God's wrath is revealed in allowing us to walk through the door that we have chosen to open. It allows us to go in. And we want to explore this uh, more deeply, and so we will in our second point. We've seen God's wrath revealed, but secondly, let's see our sin exposed. Our sin exposed. I want us first to see the way we can really describe our sin being exposed is our minds. Our minds are distorted. Our minds are distorted. See, we at the core believe something that seems very silly when I say it from uh, the stage here, but in reality is very real in all of our lives at one time or another. I hope it is not today. Uh, But here's the reality is that in our nature, this is nature outside of Christ, we believe that we're smarter than God. Like we believe we're smarter than God, that we know better than God. We believe that we have more wisdom than God. Now, for many of us, this is interesting because for a lot of people, I know this is for myself, I struggle doing a lot of simple things. Like I prove daily that I'm really not that wise. I'm really not that smart in a lot of areas of my life, okay? And if you were being honest, you would be able to say, yes, that's me too. So we don't even really think of ourselves as that smart. And yet when it comes to things in our life, our over desires, we all of a sudden believe that we know more than God. This is true about us. This is certainly true for those outside of Christ. And you see a lot of this, even with the Holy Spirit of God in you. And anytime that we try to live apart from God, that's sin. And anytime we do that, we're really saying that we know more than God. We're smarter than God. Our minds are distorted. We believe that we can navigate and live this life apart from God. And that somehow it will be freeing, life-giving, and full of joy. 
Bible says that's, that's not accurate. And our life would point to that truth. It's, that's, not, that's not real. That's not real life. Real life is that apart from God, we're a mess. We don't have joy. We're pleasure seekers and we, and we can't ever get the pleasure we really want. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But look at what it says. They became futile in their thinking. Oh man, in their distorted mind and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, claiming to be wiser than God. They became fools. They became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for something else. Our thinking gets distorted and we begin to believe that we know how to live uh, life or how it ought to work. We start thinking that we know what is good and what is evil. We begin to define what's right in our own eyes. Later, we're gonna see how this foolish thinking affects our actions in our lives. So we've seen our minds are distorted, but our our sin exposed. Let's look a little deeper. Let's see our worship and how it's displaced. Not only are our minds distorted, but our worship is displaced. Read these verses uh, there in 24 uh, and 25 again. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they did something and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Man, th- this is sin at its core. It's when we want creation but we don't want the creator. We want God's gifts, but we don't want God himself. I'm gonna look at a story in just a little bit that, that I believe will help us feel that even more. But, but as for now, I, this is what our worship being displaced looks like. It's that all of us are going to have something in our lives that's ultimate. And we'll serve it and we'll desire it. It'll be an over desire for us. We will, in a very real sense, worship that thing, whatever it is. And once again, it may be something that is a good thing, but because of our desire for it, because of our over-desire for it, our lust for it, we pervert it and we make it something that it was not intended to be for us. Our worship is displaced. Now, I know that for many of you, you certainly over the last few years have heard a fair share of messages and connections to idolatry. Uh, but, but just for a very quick uh, breakdown, that's what this is talking about is we create, our hearts create idols. A little idol making factory in our heart. That's, that's just what our hearts are like. And, and what that can be is this, it can be Aaron and God's people there at Mount Sinai, like Moses is receiving the law from the Lord. Like Moses is talking with God. They've been experiencing God's power uh, constantly. And yet they get bored for a few minutes, which we can understand. We, we tend to get bored. And when we get bored, we make really dumb decisions. And Aaron and God's people make really dumb decisions and that they get bored. They don't know where Moses is. They don't know how long he's gonna be gone. And they say, the people come up and they say, Aaron, we don't know what's going on with Moses. 
Like we don't know where he is. You think you can make us a God? We really need to worship. And Aaron's like, yeah, man, give me all your gold and your jewelry and all that kind of stuff. And so he steals everybody's jewelry and he throws it in, uh, in a fire. And he says that out, jumped down a golden calf. Now, I, I doubt it happened exactly like that, but that's what Aaron thought. It sounded like a story that a kid would tell. But Aaron, uh, with a foolish heart, just makes a terrible decision. And he creates this golden calf and the people get before it and they say, oh, you. You, oh golden calf, you Lord, you delivered us out of Egypt. Now, how, how dumb does that seem? It's okay, I'm saying dumb from the stage. Are you upset about some of you like, oh, don't say that. Oh, look, it, that's dumb. That's ridiculous. They're, they're telling the golden calf, thank you. They're honoring the golden calf. We appreciate you. Thank you for delivering us. Now, that, that's so foolish. But here's the thing. We do these kind of things all the time. Look, a lot of you, your relationship with the Lord feels like this. Oh, I haven't read four chapters today. Oh, I didn't memorize right. Oh, we didn't make it to all the Bible studies that I thought. I didn't go to church on time. I didn't do this. I don't even know God. I didn't worship him right. Like that's the way that you think about God. Can I tell you how much bigger God is than you reading four chapters a day? Like for many people, you're worried about things that you shouldn't be worried about. And what you're missing is that you give way more devotion, way more devotion to things than to the creator. You give way more devotion, way more of your heart to things that God's made, not God himself. You spend all your day in creation, worrying about creation. And then you try to spend like five minutes in, uh, you know, Jesus calling. I mean, that's, that's, that's the way it works. And I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just pointing out, we have to understand that we, whether we're in church, whether we're not in church, whether we're just in our, our natural state or whether we have the Holy Spirit of God in us, we still struggle with this, uh, with this sin about worshiping the creator rather than the creation Paul is telling us this is the effects of sin. This is what fallen nature looks like. And we folks are part of it. All right. Let's see, thirdly, when we look at our sin exposed, our desires are destructive. Our desires are destructive. Look, if we we want to see an example of an over-desire that will make sense to us, We'll do what Paul does here and we'll look at sexual immorality. After doing youth ministry for eight years, after being alive for 33 years, after talking to human beings, I know that there is not a single human being who has not struggled with sexual immorality. I know none. Only ones that are really little. Okay, it doesn't take very long for that to become a struggle. And it doesn't take long for you to realize in your heart the over desire that relationships and specifically sex can become. Now, is it a bad thing? Of course not. Of course not. It's a gift from God. But what happens when people take it and they think they're smarter than God with it? They distort it, they pervert it, and they make it something that it ought not be. And instead of being a gift, it's something that destroys 
See, our desires become destructive. In fact, I should have done this and I didn't. Uh, you should put in your outline, our over-desires are destructive. That's much more biblically correct. Our over-desires are destructive. Verse 24 points there to sexual immorality. I would highlight one that is very real in our society. I believe it's very real even in this room today. I will make a point of it because I believe I ought to. And it's this, is that studies show and experience shows that many people, even in this room, look at pornography. You do. And I wanna be very clear to you, if you look at pornography and you think it's okay and, and you come in here uh, week after week, I want you to understand this. The reality is God's wrath on your life right now. Like God's wrath is revealed in that you think it's okay. He, he's allowing you to have what you want, to stare at a screen. And some of you may hate it. You may say, well, I don't wanna look at it. Well, then stop. Get rid of your computer. But the over-desire for, for something that God placed in you for relationship, for, uh, for a desire to not be alone, you have distorted so greatly that you're looking at a screen. Not even true. I won't say it's not real, but it's not true. What a clear picture of the destructive nature of our giving, being, our giving in to over-desires. Man, sexual immorality is a very clear place to see God's wrath revealed. Verse 26 and 27, probably the most touchy of all subjects that we could have. One of the most difficult ones, probably what got me up running uh, this morning is a discussion or pointing to the sinful uh, or the destructive behavior of homosexuality. Now, there are different ways that this subject can be handled. Some churches choose and some Christians choose to act like, you know, it's really not that bad. We really shouldn't say anything is sinful. And therefore, we're just going to say, well, God is love. Well, that's, that's not a good place to be. If something's destructive, it's destructive. If something's harmful, it's harmful. If something hurts somebody, don't say it's okay. On the other side of that are people, and if, and if you fall in this camp, please, please ask God to change your heart today. If you fall in this camp where you say homosexuality is sin, it's the only sin that I'm gonna talk about this loud and I'm gonna point at them all that I can and they're not allowed here and they're not this and they're not that. And yet then you give your Lottie Moon check to send the gospel to the whole world uh, for people who are worshiping 250,000 gods and it's okay for us to uh, care about them, but it's not okay to care about our neighbor uh, who has a homosexual lifestyle, if that's you, that doesn't work either. What the Bible very clearly teaches us is this, is that homosexuality is not natural and it's ungodly. All sexual immorality is ungodly and it's taking something that God made good and perverting it into something that it was not meant to be. And when we see this, listen, God's word is so clear. It's so clear. That's why I stand up here and proclaim it today. He says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for dishonorable desires. For their women, they exchanged something. There's another exchange. They exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. 
And I'm not gonna go into detail about that, but it's not really that difficult to understand why it's against nature. I mean, honestly, an atheist and a Christian should find some form of connection here. The survival of the fittest does not work if everybody changes in this lifestyle, okay? We die out, okay? So like, even by nature, I think it's very clear, this is against nature. But what scripture says is this, is that yes, it is sinful and it's a product of suppressing truth. says, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and they were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. I want you to see our sin exposed and our minds are distorted. Our worship is displaced. Our desires are destructive and our actions are dishonorable. Before we read these last verses here, I want I want to say, if if you are here today, and you have a deep struggle, and your struggle is connected to sexual immorality, if you have an addiction that you struggle with, if you have a desire that you struggle with, if 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 you listen to me, please, if you struggle today with same sex attraction, I want you to know that you are welcome here. You're welcome here. And you're loved by the Lord. The Lord can lead you, guide you, and bring you to peace with being either alone or he can change your heart. But it doesn't matter what that, what that desire is, if it's against God's word, we, we don't hide, we don't run away. What we do is we come to him with that desire. We come to his people with that, uh, with that struggle that we face and we have them pray for us for strength to fight it. Strength to walk in purity, even if it's a deep struggle of our heart. If that's a struggle for you in any way, you're welcome here. You're not going to be, uh, we're not going to celebrate something that is sinful or that's against the Lord. We will not do that. But we will love you and care for you and point you to Jesus. See, it's easy when we read Romans 1 to start pointing fingers. In fact, the language even, he gave them over. Point to them. It's easy to point to them and they. But what we want to do for our last few minutes is this, is we want to make sure that we're not pointing fingers, but that we are looking directly at our face in a mirror. All of us can find ourselves in Romans 1. Therefore, all of us have great need for the righteousness that Paul proclaimed there in verses 16 and 17. All of us, all of us have suppressed truth. All of us suppress it even now. Verse 28 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And look at this list. 
Yeah, it talks about unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. Uh, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. You know, like we, those are also good pointers. You know, I saw that on the news last night. I saw that in my sinful cousin. You know, like, like, like it's stuff that we, we point. You, you point away and you start looking at people and thinking about people and pointing to them and they. That's what we do. But look, it gets even more narrow. They are gossips. And that, that's such a, it seems like such a drop off, doesn't it? We just talked about murder and now we're talking about gossips. Can I tell you, in the economy of God, it is not a drop off. Murder and gossip, right there in the same, in the same paragraph, they're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. I love this one, disobedient to parents. Like, I'm just being honest with you. I don't expect to see that there when I'm reading this text. But it is. And once again, the point here is that we all need to see ourselves in Romans 1. It's not a them and they, it's an us. It's an us. I want to end today talking about the exchange that we need. To do that, I'm going to tell a story. It's a story found in the book of Luke, Luke 15. It's a very well-known story. But I believe this story will help to give a picture to the words that we've described in the hope of the gospel and the righteousness that we need. I believe also for all the heavy language of sexual morality and all the isolating that some of you are doing in your minds and you say, I don't belong here. You know, I don't belong in the kingdom of God. I struggle with this. I've done this. I've done that. You don't really know what I'm like. For all of you, I want you to see yourself here in this story. There, there was a story that Jesus told. He told a story of two sons, two prodigals, we only think of one of them as a prodigal. There's actually two of them. We're going to talk about the younger prodigal, the one that we all like to think of in this story. When we get to chapter two of Romans, we'll talk about the older one. But right now, let's talk about the younger son. The son, he comes to his father and he asks for his inheritance. Now, when he does this, we would, uh, if we were living in the first century and if we were, uh, you know, if we understood the context that this would be uh, told in or this, that Jesus told the story in, we would understand how offensive this really was because what he was saying is this. He was saying, Father, I want your things. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. Give me what is mine from your bank account, but I don't want you anymore. In fact, what he's saying is, is at the end of your life, when you die, I would get your stuff. I wish you were dead now, give it to me. That's what he's doing. So he's saying, I don't want the father. I want my father's things. And what does his father do? I think we see this here in Romans 1. What does his father do? He gives it to him. He gives it to him. Now, I believe he could have said no, but he doesn't. He gives him what he asked for. He gave him what he wanted. And listen to me, it almost destroyed him. It almost destroyed him. 
He got his father's stuff. He got his inheritance and he goes off to a faraway land. He goes off to Las Vegas, wherever it was in that time. And he just spends it all on ridiculous activity, immoral activity, things that all the church ladies and all the church people want to point at, you know, like that, that, that the bad people the doing bad things. And that's what he does. And so he goes off to Las Vegas and he just is so reckless with his stuff. And it almost destroys him. He sense it. But yet the scripture tells us, Jesus says, but he came to his senses. And he said, I got to go back home. I've got to go back home because at home in the worst of environments, I'm safe. At home, I, I can be fed. At home, there is love under the roof. I've got to go home. So he starts rehearsing what all he's going to say and what it's going to be like. And of course, he's, when he's a long way off, his father had been waiting for him. His father sees him and his father runs to him. And if he's anything like most of us who just get ridden with guilt, he was probably thinking he's about to punch me in the face, even though he's smiling. Like, you know, like he, he's not going to take me. He's going to kick me out. He's going to... No, he comes and he wraps his arm around him. His, his neck falls on his neck. He hugs him. He loves him. And he starts to celebrate his coming home. He tells his, uh, his, his people at the house, he says, man, get him some fresh clothes. Get him some jewelry. And will somebody go and get that fatted calf down the road. We need a fattened calf tonight. Let's throw it on the grill. Let's cook it up and let's have a party. Jesus describes that story when he talks about people who suppress the truth, who don't want God, who think they're smarter than he is, who worship the creation rather than the creator, who want stuff and not God. He tells this story so that people like us will have hope when we come to the Lord so that we know he doesn't treat us like we would treat somebody else. He treats us really otherworldly and he receives us as his own. Now today as Kyle comes, I, I think about the, the end of the story there. And you've got this son who is having a party thrown for him. Food is there. People are there. The whole town's come. Everybody's there celebrating. It says there's music and dancing. He couldn't have been Baptist. Okay, there's dancing there. There's music there. There's, listen, there's all kinds of stuff there. This is like the best party that town had ever seen. And the father is throwing it for his son. But there's one person, one person who doesn't come to the party. And though there are many reasons we could describe, it's the older brother. It's the older brother, the one who was there the whole time. The one who had tried to do his best, the one that had lived what he thought was a great life for the father. But let me just tell you, there was one person who didn't come to the party. 
Romans 1 describes that all of us, all of us are in need of the love of the Father. All of us are in need of him to rescue, redeem, and welcome us back into his family. Because all of us, by our nature, we ran off, we thought we knew more than he did, and we, have, we left the Lord. And listen, we ran off. We ran off. But the gospel of Jesus proclaims to us a message of hope. It's a greater exchange, a greater exchange. The exchange that we made was we wanted a life apart from God. The exchange that he makes for us is what the Puritans called the great exchange. His righteousness for our sin. His righteousness for our suppression. God's righteousness given to us instead of his wrath. The gospel of Jesus is good news for us. And as y'all, y'all come on out. Come on out, Kyle. Um, the exchange is this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. If all of us today understand how much we are in need of God's righteousness, we will dance. We will dance in our heart. And listen, let me tell you something. As you, as you stand up, I can imagine walking in to that party. Imagine walking in and probably having a little part of me thinking, why is that dude dancing? What reason does that guy have to dance? How could a fool like that dance? May we be reminded today, one reason, one reason, his father's love. May we dance today in our hearts as we celebrate God's goodness and that he exchanges for us something that we need. He gives us the righteousness of his son in place of that rebellion of our hearts. That is good news for us. That is the very power of God for those who believe the gospel of God. It's a righteousness that's revealed. It comes in and through Christ. Father, may you do a great work as...